Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Taking a walk. Our living area was maybe 14, 15 blocks in circumference. You step outside of that line, you got a problem. You only had a certain area to develop in in the first place. You had to make a decision when you step out the line. Know you could run into a problem, but if you want more information, you got to step outside the line. And not just me, Barry Gordy, Smokey, I can name a few. We all did, had, in our own way, did the same thing. Welcome to the Taking a Walk podcast. Hosted by Buzz Knight, where he speaks with some of music's most influential people. Today, Buzz's guest is William Mickey Stevenson. He's known as the A&R Man, responsible for finding artists like Diana Ross and the Supremes, The Temptations, The Four Tops, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, and more. The iconic artists that made up the sound of Hitsville, USA, Barry Gordy's Motown label. Now, let's join Buzz Knight next with Mickey Stevenson on Taking a Walk. Well, Mickey Stevenson, Motown's first A&R man. I am so grateful to have you on this virtual edition of the Taking a Walk podcast. Thank you so much. Hey, it's a pleasure being here. (laughs) Yes. So, Mickey, what did your mother mean to you as far as uh, leadership and mentorship and her inspiration to you? Her main point was you have eight hours to work when you get there, eight hours to sleep when you get there. What are you going to do with the other eight? You got to put that into action. And that was a little difficult for us younger. But as we learned, that's very important. The more of that time that you use to develop desires you have, make it work. The more time you use of that, the better you'll get. And uh, 
the more you throw it away and not deal with it, the longer it's going to take you to do whatever you think you want to do. <laughs> Are you following me? Yes. So that's the bottom line. So for that, I started using it. Uh, not in a hurry. Well, I wasn't that smart. But as I, as time went on, I started recognizing that uh, this is very, very important. And so my brothers and I, we rehearsed and we did a lot of things. We rehearsed. We uh, wrote songs. We did um we we actually used it uh, performing wise. My mother, of course, was a singer and a writer, and uh, so we would see her doing the same things that she was telling us we should do. So uh, it worked out great. So can you describe the uh, the club and the speakeasy scene as you were growing up in Detroit? Uh, the clubs, well, the Flame Show Bar, which was the main club. Uh, that all the artists from around the country would come in and perform with, uh, perform there. And then uh, we had a lot of little ones that were going on. And my mother, of course, was one of the main attractions at the main club. So she would have to um, figure out what she's going to do each week, could do the same thing all the time. So each time she'd be practicing and working things out, we would watch her and decide, oh, wow, you know, this is, this is really something. And as we go out into the clubs, as I got older, of course, and went around and I saw artists and things happening, and I could tell whether they really worked on it or not by the way they were handling it on the stage. I could tell how much time they really put into it. I said, wow, this is uh, amazing. I mean, what she was showing us and what I saw later on in life, it, it, it panned out to be absolutely true. Uh, all that was, all I took all that into consideration. Are you with me? Yes. And I'm thinking, could your mother have been an A&R person as well? I don't think so. Uh, and I say that because when she was um, coming up, there was no, as, a, as, a, as an entertainer and all that, uh, in the world of controlling that industry, Blacks were not they had very little possibilities of making that happen. Let me put it to you that way. So she dealt, dealt with what she could deal with. Uh, A&R and all that was not even in the picture. Um, uh, just getting recorded in her time was, was a, a, a huge job. So uh, that's the only way I can see that. It, it changed as time went on and, and, uh, Stay uh, the marches and the development between blacks and the industry grew a little steps by step at a time. Are you following me? Yes, but she had an ear for what sounded really terrific, though, didn't she? Oh yeah, but those are gifts. I, I tell everybody, God gives us all gifts, two and three gifts, and her gift was to hear and recognize. And and those that she heard that could do something, she would talk to them about it. And I, I fortunately for me, I have the same gift that she had, and others like a Barry Gordy had gifts, and Smokey Robinson has gifts, Stevie Wonder has gifts. This is nothing. This is nothing new. This, these are things are given to us by God from the day one. Now, what we do with it is dep depends on who's around us and how we develop it. But the, you have gifts. I mean, that's just the way it is. We're not here just to be here. We're here for a purpose, in my opinion. Please take that from my point of view. Um, 
Uh, and those gifts are given. Now, if people around you and recognize that you have something special going on and help you develop that, phenomenal. If there are people around you that say, what are you doing that for? Why are you doing that? Well, that's, that's ridiculous. Now, you, now that's gifts are being taken away from, not taken away, just say blocked out. And uh, when people see uh, people around you that care and recognize it and push it, it's a wonderful thing. Mickey, how were you able to stay on the uh, the straight and narrow track as you were growing up rather than, you know, stray to the, the dark side of things, which, you know, can happen to, to anybody in life? Well, I don't have an absolute answer to that. I do know that, fortunately for me, some of the people that the adults at my time and had, had went through through changes, and they saw me struggling, um, trying to develop whatever I was working on. They were encouraging. So fortunately, I did not lean or work with those who were in a bad position in their own right at that time. I wouldn't, that, that was not attracting to me. I was looking at people who were developing things and moving along. I wanted to know, how did you do that? How'd you make that happen? Well, oh, that's great. Can you show me? I was in that kind of thinking. And that's, again, part of my mom's training. Uh, you know, you don't want to follow something that's uh, getting involved in something that's not working. You see them in a, in, a, in, a, in a bad place in life. You want to deal with things that are happening, that's going in another direction. It gives you inspiration, shall we say. And I would take time, and my brothers, we would take time and watch things that were really really happening and say, oh, I wish I could do that. Uh, how'd you do that? We was in that kind of a thinking. So now you got to understand back in the day, all around us, there was, uh, even in the, our living area was maybe 14, 15 blocks in cir circumference. You step outside of that line, you got a problem. You only had a certain area to develop in, in the first place. You had to make a decision when you step out the line, know you could run into a problem, but if you want more information, you got to step outside the line. And not just me, Barry Gordy, Smokey, I can name a few. We all did had in our own way did the same thing. And I was I would imagine that happened all around the country. So I was just one of those people that went at it from that point of view. The book tells such great stories. Um, I could visualize every one of them. One in particular, um, recount that first meeting in the barbershop with the man known as B.G., Mr. Barry Gordy. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that was the place, the barbershop, which is within the memory. I'm telling you now, we lived in this so many blocks we had in that area. That was it. Now, uh, uh, so B B uh, Benny Mullen, who had a barbershop there, and... Um, and all the artists that would come into the city to perform or and the people that lived there, they wanted to get look better and all that. They would go to mainly the guys would go to Benny Mullins barbershop. And he only had a few chips in there and a lot of things to keep you occupied <laughs> so you can stay in, stay in the seats and he wouldn't lose a customer. You know, he had chess games and ch checker games and he had the phones and he had uh, all that stuff going on. And uh, but he would he he made it a point 
because, and it's amazing how God works. He made it a point. Barry Gordy would come in and get his hair done, and I would get mine done. So Benny Mullard said to Barry, man, this guy, Mickey Stevens, you got to meet him. You know, he's really got a thing going on musically. And then he would tell Barry, I mean, tell me the same thing. Now, you know, Barry Gordy would be here in a minute. And I was telling you about him. He's got a great thing going with the recording. He got Jackie Wilson and all that. He's producing him and writing. And uh, he said, you guys ought to get together. Now, he actually he's absolutely set that up. And, uh, and he could make that announcement to others coming into his shop so they could stay. So he was, he was pretty good. Thank God for him. And uh, so, and at one point it absolutely happened. Barry was, in, he only had two bar chairs in the whole place. <laughs> he had Barry in one chair and me in the other. And he said, uh, Oh, by the way, now Mickey Stevenson, this is Barry Gordy. Barry, this is the guy I was telling you about. So Barry being had a plans of his own said to me, Man, I heard about you and the things you're doing in the city here with the musicians and all that sort of thing and the writers. And he said, uh, we got to talk. I'll be back in about two or three weeks. I'm going to finish the project on Jackie Wilson's album. And I would like to have a meeting with you. And uh, I'll give you a call and uh, we'll get together. And I was excited about that because I said, man, just uh, the songs you're doing, man, it's incredible. How'd you do that? And by the way, I got a couple for you, too, that you can take. <laughs> I, was, I was ready to get into his deal with, with the, I forgot the label he was with, <laughs> with my songs and everything. And he said, well, I, I, gotta, I, got, I got my songs together. They say, but we'll talk, because I heard about what you got there. We'll get together. And that was the beginning of the relationship between Barry Gordy and I. And, uh, and really, when he came back, uh, it took maybe a couple of months, something like that. He called me and said, you got to come over to my place for a meeting. And I was really excited because I gathered all my best songs. Now, look, I'm going to take to, to, for him to record me <laughs> with my songs. That's what I was thinking about. He had a whole other idea completely. And uh, with that happening, I get to his place. It's a living in an apartment building. We call it ghetto fabulous apartment building. You know, where you push the buzzer and the buzzer would buzz. You better grab the door before it closed or you couldn't get in. You got to start all over again. <laughs> so I'm into his place. I'm walking down a corridor, going to his apartment. And uh, he's standing there with the phone in his hand and some shorts on. And I'm saying, wow, I'm looking for this is great meeting and a great place. And all that. Uh-uh. When I get into his place, I'm in his apartment. He said, okay, let me hear your songs. Still got the phone in his hand talking. And uh, I'm looking around. I'm saying, where's the piano? Or, uh, you know, what's, I don't see no piano. I don't see nothing, none of that kind of stuff. And uh, he says, uh, what are you looking for? I said, well, you got a piano? He said, well, I got piano. I got to do with it. You sing, right? You're right, right? I said, yeah. He said, okay, well, start singing. <laughs> so... So that's, that's how we hooked up. And I sang about three or four of my songs. And uh, between him talking on the phone and listening to me, I'm saying, is a guy, is he paying attention here? And when I finished uh, about four songs or so, he said, you got some pretty good stuff there. And I said, and I was impressed. I said, okay, now let me show you the one that's going to be the hit on me was my line. Remember, I'm still working on me being a, him producing me. <laughs> so he said, you... <laughs> he said, a song that you, uh, he said, I didn't bring you here to, to produce you. 
I said, well, well, well I mean, you said my songs are good. He said, yeah, but your voice is for shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so <laughs> that wasn't too exciting for me. I immediately started collecting my stuff off the floor, ready to get out of there. He said, what you doing? I said, I come to you. I thought you wanted to produce me. He said, no, 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 no. I hear what you're doing. I see what you're doing. And I'm starting my own company. And I would like for you to be the A&R man for my company. And I had no idea what he was talking about. So I said, A&R man, what is the A&R man? He said, artist and repertoire. You're going to find the artists, the writers, producers. We're going to record the session. So we're going to make hit records. And I said, wow. Oh, yeah. Now my mind's turning again. I said, if I'm the A&R man, can I record myself? <laughs> he said, yeah, if you think it's going to be a hit record. <laughs> I said, That's, now I'm interested in whatever this A&R stuff is all about. <laughs> so I said, okay, <laughs> uh, who do I report to if something goes wrong or anything? And he said, you, you and me, that's it. I said, nobody else? He said, no, you and me. I said, okay. Uh, then I asked him, I said, well, what were you paying for this? He said, uh, you get, I think he said five, ten dollars a day, something like that, and all the chili you can eat. <laughs> <laughs> I said to myself, this guy's crazy. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I said, well, you know, let me let me let me let me let me think about it. Let me think. He said, okay. You know, but to move on with that, I accepted the position because I was going to leave. As a matter of fact, I was leaving, and I was I'm saying to him, I want to think this thing over. I'm trying to figure out how can I make this work for me? Can I get him to, in my mind? Can I still get him to produce me as an artist? And I'm walking away, and I remember my mom telling me, you want to get into something, you want to make it work, you got to try it. If it's in your vein, if it's where you're coming from, the things you're about, you want to learn all you can. And those those thoughts were walking in my head, work, working in my head. I was as I was trying to get out of the place, and it dawned on me that uh, what have I got to lose? Uh, and this is another thing, you know, the, the twenty four hour time, the eight hours of working, and I was thinking eight hours of planning. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I turned around. I said, uh, you know, okay, I, I, I'll work this out with you. I said, no, when do I start? He said, you already started. <laughs> he had the confidence <laughs> that I was going to take this position. That was amazing. Because he, and, and, it, and it brought back the thoughts of, you know, you surround yourself with the people doing the right things, making things happen. That energy transfers to you. It's if you really wanted to get it, whether it's an educational program, whether you want to be a doctor, lawyer, whatever, whatever it is, you got to be in that atmosphere. To help make it work and your your gifts work and so i settled with that and well amazingly here comes smoky robinson to his place smoky's coming down the hall coming to the door and he walked up he told barry say man mickey seems why why, why you got mickey here and barry said he's going to be the a and r man for our company now bottom line is smoky and barry had been talking all the time they already had this plan in motion not for me but start this new label and when uh, and so Smokey and I, we knew each other. So Barry said, uh, "You know, you you know." Him? He said, "Oh man, yeah, this is great." 
He, he said, well, he's the NR man. He smoked, say, fantastic, man. I got a session tomorrow at such and such a time, and I need another drummer. And a blah, blah, blah. I say, okay, you got it. And Barry said, you, he got it. Smokey said, if Mickey say, I'm going to have a drummer, I'm going to have a drummer. <laughs> and uh, so, so Smokey knew about me because we because school and all that. We were like battling in, in groups, uh, making making deals with different parties. My group would perform. His group would perform. And we were, we had a, a battle going on. So we knew each other. And he knew how I operated. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And so uh, Barry said, wow, I got the right man. <laughs> like that. that was the beginning of the Motown Motown operation. Yeah. And what an operation it became. My goodness. Now, when Smokey further worked with you, he knew you were a man of your word and that you did everything you said you would do even further, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Never stopped. I only got wiser. Uh, more deeply involved, more, uh, and it was a good feeling when I found someone with the gift. Remember, I always kept that in my head now. You got to have the gift. Just say you're a singer, there's great words, but that don't mean that, that you are a singer. You may think you are. Are you working with it? Have you worked with it? Are you, you know, I, I look for that. Just say you can sing is one word. Let me hear you. Then I say, well, why would you sing out of tune like that? Why wouldn't you go with someone to show you how to stay in pitch? I would go that way. And, uh, you know, just plus you heard a record, now you want to sing it. That's one thing. Development is another. And I would say, how much time you spend on working on your voice? I would say that to people who come to audition for me. And I could not help but to say those things. And some would say, well, I don't do that much. I say, well, you better start adding that into your daily routine. That's the only way you're going to get better. And I would, and I say, come back after you've done some of that, and let me hear you again. Now, if I found out you don't have a voice at all, you know, I would say, oh, thank you very much. See you next week. Uh, <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> but when people with gifts, and I'm sure you do, you've heard this, and you've been around people. You see gifts; they are they're just wonderful. Then, uh, what do a pe person do with that gift? And 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 who around them that encourages them, and who around them that want to pull them down? That's the battle with talented people in any field, in my opinion. So uh, with that working, I, I had the, 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 I was fortunate enough to hear some very talented people come in. Some come in as a singer. And I say, who wrote that song that you're singing? The person said, I, I wrote it. I say, you wrote the song by yourself? Yeah. I said, I tell you what, I won't sign you as a singer right now, but I will sign you as a writer. He said, why would you do that? I said, because that song is good. You got great potentialism. Your voice is okay, but your writing ability is really special. You want to come in under those terms? He said, you'll sign me as a writer? I said, absolutely. He said, okay. So it was a whole thing going there um, with me. Some came in as writers, but they sang better than they wrote. I say, well, who, you know, your voice is good, but why would you sing that song? Why don't you find other songs? <laughs> anyway, and it kept going. And I'm talking like, you know, 15, 20 people every week, sometimes more. And because uh, I was on the hunt, I wanted to have the best that I could get for this company to grow. And uh, it went on and on. And as, as we went on, it got better and better. And some of the best talent would come in. 
They would come in as one way, go out as another. They'd come in uh, as singers, we'd be writers. Some came in as singers and writers, which were great. Tell me about the hysterical story about how uh, Martha Reeves um, became so fixated on uh, signing with you. Martha, I, I, I we met in the, at the, uh, I think the club was called, uh, uh, can't think of the name of it now, but she, she sang in the club, uh, and she walked up to me. And I, I told her when she sang, it was like maybe three or four acts singing in that club, and uh, and I said, Martha, you you got you got you got something going here. Why don't you uh, come by the office? And let's talk. So she uh, was excited about it when we came. She came to my office. I would not say an audition, but I wanted to find out more about her as a person. And in the meantime, I'm doing two or three things at the same time. And uh, so I didn't have a lot of time for her when she showed up. And uh, I said, well, let me get back with you later. Come back on. I would name a day, something like that. Martha was determined to be with this company. She would come constantly try to get me to meet with what she's doing, her songs and her way of singing and all that. And um, what happened was my my secretary was leaving and she saw Martha all the time because Martha, her and Martha got to be friends. And I come into my office and uh, one, day, one of the days in that week and there's Martha on my phone. And I'm saying... In my office. I said, what are you doing? She said, putting her finger out just a minute. Like she's handling a call. <laughs> Took the information down with the person, blah, 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 blah. I said, what you doing on my phone? She says, well, um, uh, her friend, who was my secretary, she said she had me come in here because she had a lot of things going on when I would like to help her out and all that. And and I was watching her talk, and I'm saying, wait a minute. I know my, my secretary was leaving. I said, uh, you're pretty good at this. She said, just a minute. A call, call came in again. She went through the conversation. Yeah, well, Mr. Stevenson will do this for you. Blah, blah, blah. Give me your number. Let's put that down. While she's talking to me now, she's becoming my, my secretary on the phone. And I said, she says, uh, I said, you know what? Uh, my my girl's leaving. You know that? She said, yeah. She said, I said, okay. Uh, I, t- I take it you want this job. She said, absolutely. She said, I come to be an artist, though, the sign with the lake. But I said, hold it, hold about the signing part. But I said, you're pretty good at what you're doing. So um, we may work something out. Bottom line is she had had her plan for me. <laughs> and uh, she, But she was very good, though. She was very good. And so, of course, I got around to me recording her. But she was had no, I had no plans of leaving that building. And she was going to make it through that building. She she was that determined, and I like that. I like that part about her. And and when when she got to be my assistant secretary, shall we say, uh, she would say to me, "I don't call me a secretary. Call me your assistant." She didn't like the word secretary. <laughs> I said okay, but. And when the artist came in, whether it was Smokey or somebody that she admired and all that, she would still keep the respect of what her position was. Well, other people working around say, oh, my God, it's Smokey. Or here's so-and-so. And they get out of the job and start getting involved. Martha never did that. She stayed, kept it business. She kept respect for the position that she was in for me. I loved that about her. And eventually, I got around to recording her, as you know. 
but she was she had that in her mind as part of what she wanted to do. And I liked that about her. At the time that I did record her, we did the Dancing in the Street song. Uh, when I called her, um, she, she would never leave. The If I stayed till 11 or 12 o'clock at night, she would stay. I mean, when she came in, she would stay there. As, and her deal was, I'll stay here as long as you're here. I said, wait a minute. She said, hold it. I don't want to know. You know, I got to pay for no overtime. I said, okay, you got a deal. <laughs> <laughs> what a great lesson that is for anybody coming up the ranks in any business to just be resilient and steadfast that you're going to get what you want, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. How else are you going to do it? I mean, it don't work otherwise. You got, you got to be lucky for somebody to grab you and you don't spend the time and the, the uh, determination to be what you want to be. You got to have that. That's important. Not only when you get into that position, but to make it grow. You see that same feeling and thoughts got to be with you. Not just to get the job, whatever the job is, but if you want to make it happen, you get the job and you keep that energy and that desire to be the, the best you could be at it. So it never stops. But you, we're going to get to talk about what you're working on with your, your two musicals because you never stop. So I, we will touch upon that. We'll be right back with more of the Taking a Walk podcast. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at chumpacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. 
Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity, and it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Welcome back to the Taking a Walk podcast. Can you tell us that beautiful story that would result in the four tops coming to Motown? Well, that was amazing. The four tops. When I uh, well, I, was, I came home on a furlough, and uh, we had the theater like Apollo, like I told you, it was a Warfield Theater in Detroit. And uh, I'm uh, I'm coming in, and I'm going to the theater on my furlough because I want to uh, have some fun. <laughs> I got my my, my um, uniform on, and I'm coming in the place. And I'm looking around to see who the best girls and who I can talk to and all that, like soldiers do. And they have, and at the theater they had an amateur show and they had the movies. Okay, the amateur show were like the Apollo was going on, and these acts were coming out performing. They were terrible. And then uh, uh, one or two was reasonable. Then the four tops came on. They were called the four aims at that time. The four aims come on. And these guys started singing, and they were doing a, a combination of jazz and RB all wrapped up in one song. And it was do 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 da do da da do do And they were singing, and Levi was taking those notes and taking that was a lead singer to a whole nother level. And I said, Man, these guys are great. They're gonna be stars one day. And in that process, and listening to that, looking at that and watching them sing. Remember what I did with my brothers and Apollo and and the determination and all that. I said, wow, I was supposed to at that time uh, re-enlist in the, in the army where I was at. And, uh, and I decided right then and there, I'm not going to stay in the army. I'm going to go deep into this business. That was before Barry. And when I... Uh, so I had my mind in it as, as an artist and all that. When later on, uh, when I was asked to come back and resign, you know, sign up to do some more years, the colonel asked me, man, we'll put you in officer's training school and you'll be a great uh, officer for your people. That line didn't lock me out. And I said, nah, <laughs> uh, I'm out of here with the Army. And, uh, of course, I got with Barry and blah, blah, blah. That went on. Now, Years later, I'm in and uh, Barry said to me, he wanted the jazz label. And I said to him, jazz label? We're in the jazz label. Less than 15% of the market. He said, you the NR man here? I said, yeah. He said, get me a jazz label. I said, okay, okay, okay. So I said, I got to go to Chicago and uh, New York, rather, and see what, what musicians we can, you know, sign up to be on our jazz label. I go to New York. I'm hunting around. Uh, all the jazz musicians there, very, very, very good. But they didn't want to be locked down into a label. They all played with each other on different sessions. And you couldn't build a star, in my mind, on our line. 
So uh, I said to Tilbury, I said, enough of this, man. I got I to gotta do this another way. He said, what's your game plan? I said, I'm going to get me like a Nancy Wilson. Then I've had a jazz musicians play on her. Now we'll cover the jazz line, but we got a, a, an artist on our label. He said, that's a good idea. And he said, well, how are you going to do that? I said, well, I'm going to Chicago for that. So today I'm just quitting right now. I'm going to go down to the village and have myself a little fun and prepare to get out of here tomorrow. And I'm going to Chicago. He said, okay. I'm in the village down in New York and I'm walking in where I'm going to enjoy myself. <laughs> and I'm passing this club and I hear these guys singing. I'm standing outside. I looked under the name of the Four Tops. And I'm looking and I'm seeing, and I said, wow, those guys are really good. It reminded me of the group that I heard when I, in the end of Warfield. And it was singing really good. So I, I said, man, these guys are great. I walked into the club and sure enough, it was the same guys. They had changed their names to the Four Tops. And, and I said, wow. So I sat down and watched them. And I told the owner of the club to come over. And I said, listen, when they get off the stage, I would, would you have them come over here? I want to talk to them, blah, 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 blah. He said, sure. He, you know, and I, he said, who are you? I said, Mickey Stevenson, Motown. Well, I gave him a little history stuff. And sure enough, the show was over. They're part of us. They were singing now behind Billy Eckstein as backup, but they were the opening act. And I really went down to see Billy Eckstein. But when I'm standing outside and hearing his voices, this group, I said, this is great. Anyway, I'm in there. The guy, the owner, tells the Four Tops about me. And Duke Faker, who was the head guy with the group, came over. He said, well, who are you, man? I heard you wanted to talk to us. I said, yeah, man. I said, I saw you guys. I see you. I see you changed your name uh, from Ames Brothers because it was a white group called the Ames Brothers. I might add. And I said to now to the Four Tops. I said, but I saw you in Detroit, and I told him when it was, and I sang the song that they did to win the contest. He was in shock. He said, "How'd you know that song?" I said, "I heard you guys sing it, and I thought you were great." And I said to myself, "These guys are going to be stars." And I said, and I'm in the position to make that happen for you. Now, Duke, I'm talking like this. Now, Duke looked at me as if to say, this guy, who is this guy? And, uh, and he called the owner over. And he said, well, it's Mick Stevenson you know, with Motown. He said, Motown Detroit. He said, but yo, man, but y'all just doing that R&B stuff. You know, we're not R&B singers. I said, we don't do R&B stuff. We do music. And you're not just singers. You sing songs of any kind of song. So you take that one style out of your thoughts and become an artist who sings songs, and we're a company who make music. Then we can come together. And he said, man, you're very determined about this thing. I said, when you leave this place, you come to Detroit, come home, come to my office, we'll get together, and I'll make you stars. And he looked at me. He said, me, I said, before you, before you uh, uh, stop right there, I'll be back in two weeks. When are you leaving this place? He said, well, if you're going to be back in two weeks, we're going to come by and see you. And sure enough, about two weeks later, he's knocking on my door at my office. And my secretary says, these guys, the Duke Faker, the four, four tops are here. But I said, yeah, bring him in. And we just hooked up right there, then and there. And uh, I brought out the contracts, too. I didn't waste time with a whole lot of dialogue. I said, man, you made the best movie of your life. And I pulled out the contracts. I said, now, you you take these co contracts to your lawyers or whoever you work with and get it straight. You come back, sign them, you're on.
And he said, uh, we, uh, take him to our lawyer. I said, I'm tell you right now, I ain't changing nothing on the paper. So you <laughs> and he, Duke looked at me and pointed his finger and said, we're going <laughs> to sign this contract and I'm holding you responsible for everything you said about making us stars. I said, you got a deal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and everything worked out pretty well, I would say. Absolutely. Absolutely. Barry Gordy said to me, man, we got another group. I said, Barry, this is not just a group. They're very special. He said, I said, hold it. Don't, am I the NR man here? He said, yeah. I said, okay, then that's, I signed this group. I said, before you say anything else, come over to the studio. So, because I had him in the studio area, we talk meeting the musicians and everybody. I walked over there with Barry. I said, okay, uh, four tops, Levi, sing a song. They said, what kind of song? I said, I don't care what kind of say, just sing a song. When they started singing and Levi started hitting those notes and the group was right behind him, all the producers just went, left the room. And Barry said, wow, man, these guys are something. I said, well, I told you. And and and, and, and uh, he, they all left the room because each of the producers and writers went to their rooms so they started writing some songs for these guys. <laughs> Barry, Barry just looked at me and walked away. <laughs> now, you had um, some hard and fast rules when you went into the studio um, with, you know, players and bands and musicians. Um, what were some of your rules of, of discipline that needed to occur when you had a studio session? Well, first of all, you can't bring anybody with you. No friends and all that kind of stuff. Each person knew exactly where their position was. If I had two guitar players, and most of the time I had two. One was rhythm, one was lead. All your chords and stuff for your songs that you're dealing with, but when they when the writers, producers bring their music in, and I had people work with them so these things are written out. So we don't guess at nothing. And if you like to want to make a change, you can make a change while you're running it down. And so the, and everybody had to have their pencils and had keep it in order. If you're producing a song or writing a song, I didn't want anybody changing your stuff because you spent time to develop it like it is. So bottom line is, I, all my musicians had to be able to read. That's number one. And when they came in and I picked them one at a time, I mean, each, every musician was in there as individuals. They wanted to be great at their thing. You take people like that together, you really got yourself a unique sound. So each one of these musicians, it's the funk brothers, we call them. Each one of them wanted to be great at what they did on their instrument, period. And so when they all had the same calling as they came together, they only got better. So I'm going to mention some of the great artists from Motown and get your reaction to this amazing roster that uh, shaped music history. Um, first person is Stevie Wonder. Ah, that was a gift from heaven. I was singing with Clarence Paul. Clarence Paul... And I were like the Sam and Dave, shall we say, in Michigan. And uh, was Clarence was a, he was incredible. Uh, blues singer. Me, I'm in a whole nother world with my mom, singing pop and jazz and all that. So he got me to singing with him. And we sang around the country. Uh, Idaho, Michigan and all that. We do clubs. And that was my income, was working with Clarence. When I took the job as the NR in Motown, we're doing, well, we're recording product and coming out with the hit records, 
I hated the albums because they were not, it was just one or two songs on there and nothing else was happening. So I told Barry, this is not working for me. We got to have good songs in the album, not just songs, just because we got a hit. He said, okay, that's your job. You figure it out. So I hired Clarence to work with me in Motown to check on all the albums that were coming out. His job was to make sure the songs are really on the one in there. It's like first release and second release in the album. Now the other songs got to sound as good. Not stuff that was worked on and thrown away, not just stick it in the album. Uh-uh. The, the album's got to be good. That was his job. And uh, I'm saying it to say how we got to the Stevie Wonder. At a certain point, Clarence, after about a year, year and a half, Clarence said, man, can I produce some of the main artists? I said, Clarence, I can't take Smokey off of the Temptations and uh, Holland Doge away from Supremes and put you on it. Don't work like that. These guys are coming up with hip, hip product. I say, I'll find some artists for you to work with. He said, okay, man. He said, but let me tell you, I found this kid. I'd uh, like to bring him in and do some work with him. And because I'm saying to myself, I got to let Clarence go because I can't change my roster here. And uh, but this is an opportunity for him so he can let himself go take me off the hook. So I said, OK, why don't you let me hear what you're talking about? He said, well, one more thing, man. He said uh, uh, he's about 11 years old. I said, hold it, Clarence. You bring an 11 year old kid in here. And he said, Mickey Stevenson, your words, your bond. You say I can do it. So this is what I want to do it with, an 11-year-old kid. Can I bring him in and work something out so you can listen to him? I said, okay, man, do that. He said, one more thing. <laughs> I said, what's that? He said, he's blind. I said, Clarence Paul, have you lost your mind? You're going to bring an 11-year-old kid in here blind and going to produce? I said, okay, you can bring him. Every time I see that kid, I want to see you hand in hand. If he falls down these stairs or do something, Barry Gordy's going to kill me and I'm going to kill you. <laughs> so he said, he said, okay. So two weeks later, Clarence comes in and he brings Stevie with him. The session's about to close. So uh, the musicians, musicians kind of wrapping up. Clarence takes Stevie over to the drummer and gives Benny Benjamin a hint. Benny got up. And Clarence sits Stevie down on the drums. Stevie pushed his hands around, touched all the drums and the cymbals. Now, the band is still kind of, he's still kind of in his pocket. Stevie jumps right in on the leg. Then he makes a run. I'm in shock. Everybody else look. Stevie gets off the drums. Benny Benjamin sets back down the drum. Now the band is cooking up again. Clarence Paul takes Stevie over to the organ. The organ player gets up. Stevie feels the organ, and he's right into the pocket with the organ. Clarence takes him off the organ. Earl Van Dyke sits back down the organ in shock. So now he's cooking. All of a sudden, the sound that they were closing down with is lifting up in the space and in the groove is cooking. They're all amazed at this kid, but they're loving what the feeling is that he's giving them. Stevie goes over to the microphone. Clarence got him, pulls the mic. Stevie takes the harmonica out of his pocket and starts blowing it. Now the, now the groove is cooking. And Stevie, bam, <laughs> puts the harmonica back in his pocket and starts saying, oh, baby, why don't you, why don't you? The, now the band is cooking like a big dog, and he's singing. Words coming out of his mouth, but you can hear the tone of his voice. 
I left the studio, went to my office, told me to call a lawyer friend of mine and ask him, what is the deal signing a kid, 11 years old, blah, 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 blah. He gave me the information, what I had to do legally. Now, they're still in the studio. I go over to Barry's office. I say, BG, I'm going to sign this kid we got over here. He's, uh, he said, well, keep saying anybody you want to. Well, you know, that's, your, that's your job. I said, wait a minute. This is a little bit different. He said, what's that? I say, he's about 10, 11 years old. He said, what? I say, wait a minute. And he's blind. Barry said, you crazy. <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said, no. I said, I have never seen gifts like this before. Now, you know, we all got gifts out here, but he's got some special gifts. And I want to sign him. I said, hold it. Before you say anything else, I already called a lawyer and found out what the what things we had to do when you take on a kid like that. You got to have make sure that he gets some schooling. You got to have people first with him. You got to have somebody to uh, schoolwork. Uh, that's, you be responsible for that. And uh, and we got to pay for that and all that. He said, you know what you're saying? I said, I know exactly what I'm saying. I said, am I the NR man here? He said, yeah. I said, then I want to sign this kid. This is as simple as that. He said, okay, I'm holding you responsible for it. I said, okay, that's my job. I'm responsible. I said, come on, come with me. He said, what? I said, I want you to see what I'm talking about. He comes over to the studio, and Stevie's still in a little bit of his musical thing like that. And he said, wow. I said, now, this guy is going to be phenomenal. We just got to stay with him. That's how Stevie got there, and we stayed with him. And everything that he said he could do, or I heard he could do, he did. And those are gifts that are amazing. And I made sure that nobody interfered with that. And he took off. Oh, that's a beautiful story. Wow. When I mentioned Diana Ross, what do you think about when I mention her name? Same thing. Special gifts. Uh, and and, and she, she was determined. And, and that, that idea of of working, you know, like four or five hours, blah, blah, blah. She would spend more time than that. When we had the artist development area where, you know, you had to come in, get your, once you had a song, like, you gotta, how are you going to perform it? How's it going to look on stage? And I got that from my mom. Just don't stand there and sing. Unless you're going to sing opera, you better do something else. <laughs> so we had a, what we call a, a artist development area where we had teachers would show you how to uh, perform with your with the microphone and you know make yourself look good. Just don't stand in front of the microphone and sing. So we had dance routines and all that. Nina was the kind of artist that was determined. She would even come into the rehearsal area, we working out the choreography, and she would stay. I mean, she only only had like an hour or two in there. She stayed as long as she could. She had a whole determination of being as good as she could possibly be, no matter what. And if someone else was late, she would say, can I take that time? Absolutely. I mean, she had a whole nother direction. But like like my back to my mom's teaching, as many as many hours as you could spend on your gift or your talent, that that will pay off. The less you spend, it's going to hit a wall. More great lessons. How about Marvin Gaye? Marvin was a, a, a whole nother case. I heard Marvin Gaye singing, and uh, I said, well, I love his voice. I didn't like his songs, but I love his voice. <laughs> so uh, I told Barry, I said, okay, I'll do something with him. He said, what do you mean something? I said, well, I'm going I'm to get some hits on him. He said, you going to get some hits on him? I said, yeah. He said, uh, 
uh, okay, you gonna uh, what's the deal? I said, well, what you want the deal to be? He said, well, uh, it's five hundred dollar bet like we do. I said, no, 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 a thousand on this one. He said, a thousand? Why? I said, man, I got to change this guy's mind. He's standing looking like Andy Williams. I got to change his thinking. Uh, I love his voice, and he's creative. I said, it's going to take some time, and uh, I'm going to make it. He said, you're going to make it happen? I said, yeah, but the bet's a thousand dollars. Now, what's the deal? He said, you got to bet. I said, okay. Now, I'm, we're talking like this, and Marvin's right on the side of us. He can hear this conversation. <laughs> so, so when Barry left, and Mark walked up to the now, what is this? What's your plan you got to do with me? I said, hey, man, first of all, let's become friends. So let's get to know each other. He said, I, he said well, how you going to make that? Because he's kind of pissed off, you know. He said, how you going to make that happen? I said, I see you write songs. He said, yeah. I said, well, we write some songs together. He said, you write some songs with me? I said, sure. You've got gifts, man. He said, okay. Then you want to get to know each other. He said, Okay, because he was surprised that I said that. But I really meant that because I saw some of his writing. So I said, I said, oh, yeah. So we started writing songs together. And then we were writing songs. I tell him it would be for maybe the contours or something like that. So we'd be writing a song. So I would sing a line and, um, you know, oh, baby, why don't you come back? Whatever I'm doing. And then he would say, why don't you come? I said, no, 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 no. You can't go that way. You got to sing it like I'm singing it. Go to church. So I said, I'd sing my line. Oh, baby, why don't you come back? And he said, oh, baby, why don't you come back? I said, that's what I'm talking about. Now, so we kept, we do the lines. I do my lines, he do his lines. So we worked out about two or three songs. And each time I slipped back to the same one to make it better. So I go to my, uh, my place and I take a razor and I splice out all of my lines and tape all of his together. You know, in those days, you had a tape recorder, you know, you take a little razor and you cut down, you take the tape out. Remember that? <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> so I put all of his lines together. So I came to the office uh, and called him and I said, come on, would you hear something? He said, what's that? I played the song and all of his lines consistent, consistently stayed in order and very soulful. He said, wow, man, how'd you do that? I said, I cut all mine's out, put all yours together. I said, now do me a favor. Why don't you sing this song? It'll take me off the hook with Barry, and then I'll do the jazz album on you. He said, you'll do a jazz album? Of course. You know, I come from jazz, so ain't no big deal. I said, but I got to get off the hook with Barry with you. So he said, okay. I said, now, anything that don't sound right, in those days, you could put the earphones on. I could be in the studio, and I can sing it. You could hear me while you're out recording. You know, you follow what I'm saying? Yep. So I said, anything that don't work right, I'll just sing it to you. You can sing the same thing I'm doing. You got a better voice than me, so it's going to sound better automatically, but you'll know where we're going. He said, okay. So we went to the studio, and we did just that. I think I did maybe two stops. I sang it where he said, go, go back, and then he would do it better. But after that, he didn't need me because he got the whole thing in his head. He finished it. And so I got the record. Barry's coming down. How you doing with the Marvin Gaye? I said, uh, how am I doing? Give me a thousand dollars. He said, you, what are you, are you crazy? I ain't heard nothing. I said, here, take this demo back, back to your office. I'll wait right here. He said, are you, cra- are, are you sure? I said, just take it back to your office. He turned around, went back upstairs to his office, came back downstairs about five minutes later, opened his pocket and the wallet, took out the thousand dollars. He gave it to me and said, how did you do that? I said, you don't want to know. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, man. 
Mickey, let's talk about what you're working on now. And uh, I want to know where you get all your energy from <laughs> as well. But tell me about your two projects that you're so passionate about that you're working on right now. Oh, man, it's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I'm doing the uh, Singing from the Heart. I took uh, Billie Holiday, Josephine Baker, Dinah Washington, Mahalia Jackson, Bessie Smith, Dorothy Dandridge, Eartha Kitt, and Lena Horne. These women made history at, at a time where it was unbelievable. You know, the prejudice, garbage going on, all that kind of stuff. But they still became great artists. And I put them together so they can kind of tell their stories in music. And uh, it's singing from the heart. And I have... Uh, a young girl who's learning, uh, studying to be an actress, artist, and she has to find out she was going. She auditioned and and got the part for one of these ladies, but she no don't know the history of them. She could just do the part because of the writing of the script, but she's got to put the feeling in it. And so her boyfriend tells her, "Why don't you get your computer?" And, and look up these ladies, which whatever you want to be, and study them because they went through some changes. It didn't just happen. You want to know what that's all about. And and uh, he's white boy. She's black, of course. And she says to him, how you know about these ladies? He said, my mother was in crazy in love with Billie Holiday. She knew what they called a lady day. She knew all. I had to listen to that stuff all while I was growing up. So I know them because of my mom. And so, of course, the young girl took it and she starts studying. In the process of studying, uh, of course, she'd go into a whole nother trance and she would meet these ladies one at a time as they told their stories in the history. It is an incredible story and, and the songs that they did and why and how. And it gave her uh, knowledge and information. So when she went back to, to, to uh, audition for the part, she had more than just words to say. She had feeling in a whole nine yards. So that's what the show is about. So I'm bringing you the history of, uh, and whatever you do, again, you got to come from the heart. Just to do it means nothing. When you bring it from the heart, it, 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 it encloses and brings in everything. And that's what that show is about. And uh, sing it from the heart. Tremendous. Tremendous. And, and the other and, piece, uh, which is special, is uh, I was given the the rights to do the Azusa revival where the Holy Spirit came down in 1906 in Los Angeles on Azusa street. And, uh, William Seymour, black minister, uh, was uh, in charge of the church there. And, and his term at that place where the Holy Spirit came in and had people being healed by the thousands. And as they came in to his area, they walked into this, we call it Chicano glory vibe and he came in they came in and were healed the blind began to see uh the lame began to walk they got to the point that they would get out of the crutches the moment they got in that feeling of that space they would get out of their crutches move the wheelchairs unbelievable and uh it went on it's the pentecostals we call them and they went from from a few pentecostals to so many millions of them today and all over the world. And what they would do is, the, how it kept growing is, once you came in and you couldn't see, and, and now when you leave, you go back home and you can see. <laughs> Somebody would know, how'd that happen? <laughs> you tell them, so they, they go. Though Some came in a wheelchair, and you come back walking, they come, and people see, them. you can't deny that the person is walking. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> they would go in. So it kept growing up, every race, creed, and color. And look it up, Azusa Revival, go to your computer. I didn't make it up. And I was called by the Japanese who owned that area. They, that was the, they owned most, most of the property in that area. And there were some of them are Pentecostals as well. The ministers called me in one day and asked me uh, what they got something they want me to take a look at. And uh, when they brought me in, they explained what it was all about. And uh, they said, we'd like to bring this moment back. And in doing that, I'm I'm in shock, mind you. I had no idea what they were talking about. As they explained it to me, and I looked and read the books and the whole nine yards, I, I had to go back to church and find out from through the ministers, is this really what is this? And it, it happened in the upper room with Christ. This was the, another time here on Azusa Street. And uh, I actually went back and got rebaptized because I wanted to speak in tongues because that was just taking me to a whole nother level. When I got it all together, I went back to the Japanese for a meeting and I said, okay, I will do this. They said, how are you going to handle it? I said, I'm going to turn it into a musical because with the music, I can bring people into the theater. Then they can get the real story. They said, great, perfect. I said to them, why did you call me? We're in Hollywood. You're in California. You got the best writers, producers, and directors in the world here. Why me? And they said to me, we saw what you did with Motown and all the people you work with after Motown. And everything you've learned to do was for this reason. Took my breath away. So that's how we got to Azusa, which I'm working with as we speak. Oh, Mickey. Mickey. Oh, I want to I wanna wish you well on on those projects. And I just have to tell you, when I think of uh, this podcast, I'm, I'm so grateful for it uh, every day, but uh, I really hit the jackpot talking to you, Mickey Stevenson, and I'm, I'm so blessed and so grateful and, and just, uh, I love talking to you. Oh man, pleasure talking with you, man. You know, I, I, I like to stay you know as real realistic as possible. Some of us may sound like, "Wow, how did that happen?" And I say it happened because this is a, these are gifts that God gives us, and if we recognize that and work with them, I mean, we cannot lose, but we can win, and some of us can win greatly because we help others. I mean, that's what makes it work even more important. Oh, you're so special. I'm so appreciative, Mickey. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Taking a Walk podcast. Share this and other episodes with your friends and follow us so you never miss an episode. Taking a Walk is available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.